What's going on, everyone? Liv here. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this, about how I get to chat with awesome people about their stories and these songs that speak so deeply to these pockets in their heart. And I've just been feeling super grateful about that, super grateful to share with them and then share with you all. So thanks for being here. This week, we have a delightful guest. Her name is Sammy Downing. She is an author based out of Denver, Colorado. She wrote the novella, The Family That Carried Their House on Their Backs, which is insanely cerebral, awesome, and cool. This week's episode was filled with some really good heart space chats. We chatted about Sammy's love for romantic comedies, travels abroad, her relationships, and just her awesome, intense take on the world. Stay tuned. We got a great episode coming your way right now. Welcome to My Gay Playlist and Stories from Outside the Closet. My name is Liv Lombardi, and I am your host. This is a podcast about coming out and the music that inspires our journeys. To me, coming out is an act of honesty. It's something that we do every day when we decide to live our lives as authentically as possible. Where are my dreamers at? Where are my freaks and geeks and weirdos and losers and nerds? If you were ever told you don't have a place here, I'm saying this table is set for you. So take a seat and tell me about it. And we'll start with this. What are your stories and what are your songs? If you want to follow along and listen to each guest's particular gay playlist as you stream our episodes, head over to mygayplaylist.com. There you'll find each episode's corresponding song list. Until then, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Um, Well, I'm super psyched to have you on because I love your playlist. I think it's great. I think your taste in music is probably very similar to mine because a lot of these songs I love and a lot of the artists I love. There's a lot of Sufjan Stevens on this. Uh, This band, The Still Tide, do you have like a personal connection to them? Because I love their music. Are they Denver-based? Yes, yeah, that's my partner. So that's oh, why. Word. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, I love her. Her music is is killer. Um, speaking of killer, there's Phoebe Brid- Phoebe Bridgers. Her track "Killers" on there. Just some really great songs. And then the last song that you ended with, "Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now." Starship. <laughs> I ah, oh, the throwback. So good. Yes, I uh, have you seen that movie, The Skeleton Twins? Mm-hmm. I've heard of it, but I don't think I've seen it. I think it's really good. I, I'm sure someone out there thinks it's controversial and I would respect their opinions, but I thought it was a really good movie. And it's about these two twins who both kind of have maybe struggle with life and the weight of it. And there's a scene where they're dancing to that song. And it mm-hmm. reminds me of just how I feel with my, about my sister and just like dancing, like nothing's going to stop us now. Yes. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I can totally relate. I'm an identical twin. Oh, yeah. And uh, I have very vivid memories of moments like that with my sister. In our earlier 20s, we traveled around the country, Europe, a lot together. We did semesters abroad in college during the same semester in different countries. So we also got to like visit each other during that time in our respective, you know, uh, places of study, countries of study. Uh, and I have a very, that just reminded me of one moment. She was studying in Istanbul and I was studying in Cyprus. So it's even though we went across the world, we were like kind of right next to each other. Uh, and I went to Istanbul to see her and we were dancing in this club. The clubs are crazy there. And 
a, like a throwback song came on and there was this projection on the wall and it just said, fuck the distance. You should be here. And I remember we were like drunk and just like feeling so alive. We're in this foreign country and having a blast. And she just like looks at the wall and like points to it. And she's like, it's true live. I don't know. That just reminded me of that. Yeah, totally. I've definitely had those moments. What's your twin's name? Ariana. Ariana. Yeah. She lives in Taipei. So I miss her a lot, but I won't get into the rabbit hole of talking about how much I, I miss my sister because that's, that could be a whole nother podcast, I think. Let's jump in. For those uh, that are listening that maybe don't know Sammy Downing, you're a writer. I am super excited that I have read some of your essays. I really like the one that you uh, wrote for Medium. Was it this past winter? What We Owe to Dreaming? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It was like in April, I think is when I I wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first little uh, sneak peek I had into some of your work. And I've read a lot of your poems now, like through your website, I found a lot of your poetry and I'm going to be ordering your novella soon because I just think the idea of it is awesome. Very cool stuff. So I'd love to hear a little bit from you. When did you start writing? What what kind of drives you? Um, where are you coming from when you're sitting down to talk about words and, and make them and make them sound all cool like you do? Uh, a little bit about all of that process. Yeah, that's all. Those are a lot of questions. Those are some big questions. But I feel like the biggest, the most important thing is I feel like I've been a writer all my life. I think that's what a lot of writers tend to say is that I think it's just you feel like you were launched into the world looking at it a certain way. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was in first grade, we had to fill out a little questionnaire about who we wanted to be when we grew up. And I said that I wanted to be an author. So I definitely pretty much just like stuck with that same passion forever. But that's kind of a, a statement of my personality. I'm pretty all or nothing. So I feel like that was how it was going to work out. For sure. Yeah, I love hearing that kind of stuff. I always knew that I wanted to be a performer in some regard. I'm a songwriter and a musician. I remember telling my mom, I studied theater. I remember telling my mom when I was a kid, I want to be an actor. I want to be a doctor in the day and an actor at night. Cause I think I thought like I needed to do something that was like a real job. I quickly left the doctor thing, but always. Um, yeah. Kids internalize that. Like what is a real job? But yeah, kids definitely think about those things long before they need to. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so you're based out of Denver. Did you grow up there? Or are you always, or have you always sort of lived in that area in Colorado or? Yeah, no, I did grow up here and I left when I went to college. Um, I actually went to college outside of Chicago. So kind of near where at? Uh, Lake Forest College. Okay, cool. Yeah, I had a teacher, a high school teacher who I loved and admired. I thought he was like the greatest and coolest person in the world. And he went there. So I just wanted to be a clone of him. <laughs> um, I love that. How I went there. And then I moved around a lot. For like 10 years, I lived in Texas for a little bit and Tahoe, and I spent like a few months in Connecticut. And then, Connecticut. I, mm. yeah, <laughs> yeah, not my favorite place in the entire I'm world. I'm from New Jersey, so I have, I have very specific opinions about Connecticut, mostly because whenever I drove through there, it was raining and it was just an awful experience driving. But anyway, it is, they're scary drivers. Yeah, so scary. Yeah. And then I lived in Portland a few times and I lived in New Zealand for a little bit. So nice. Moved back two years ago. Cool. So you're kind of recent to being stateside again after living in New Zealand? Yeah. Yeah. What was that adjustment process like? That must have been weird. 
I didn't live in New Zealand for as long as I think it would take to be fully adjusted. I would say, you know, I lived there for like seven months or something like that. And okay, cool. I loved it. It definitely made me feel more at peace with life and more at peace with what I wanted from the world. People don't move at such a quick pace and there's mm. less of pressure. Like no one's talking about their jobs all the time. It's almost really it's so rare to hear people talk about their careers and work and there's so much more presence there, which I really enjoyed. And the natural world is so much more uh, available there, which was wonderful. So definitely th those things are were hard to come back here. For sure. Are they really bigger or a lot bigger here? Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I, I can imagine. Cool. So let's jump into like the meat and bones. I, okay. like I said, I loved your playlist. We can go chronologically or skip around a little bit, but I'd love to talk about the first song on your playlist is like <laughs> the main title theme instrumental from Little Women. Yeah. So it starts off with this very like theatrical feeling. And I know from the piece that you had uh, on Medium, What We Owe to Dreaming, it's, it talks in depth about your experiences growing up watching movies, specifically rom-coms with your mom and your sister, and how that was like really a bonding experience, it seemed like, for, for you and a rite of passage in some way, but also sort of like a ritual that you shared with them. Uh, so I was curious if, if this song starting your playlist also kind of had something to do with that part of your past. Definitely, definitely. Well, to this day, I think I'm deeply connected to movies. And so when I write, I have a soundtrack, I have a playlist of like movie themes and soundtracks from like the most influential movies in my life because yeah. soundtracks or not the soundtracks, I think the official term is like a theme or something. The score, the score, that's the term. Right. Uh, really just you know, they bring me back and they make me feel so nostalgic and so alive. And so I picked orchard theme or orchard houses, what I think it's called, because it makes me think about Joe running through the woods and she's got flowers in her hair and, mm -hmm. and you know, the whole world is open to her and she's gonna, she's gonna make it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Do you relate to that or had, did you at some point with your, in, in your own self growing up? Definitely. Well, I think something that I really loved about Little Women is my mom loved Little Women. And so she, I don't know if she gave it to me when I was young or if I had a, a copy that my grandmother gave me. I read it and I really identified because I grew up in a house with just women and me and my little sister and kind of an older grandmother character. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so it definitely, I felt like it paralleled Little Women. And Joe is definitely, you know, she doesn't quite fit in and She's really radical and she's opinionated and kind of brash. And I, I identified with all those things. Sidebar. What did you think about the remake that they did, Greta Gerwig did recently? Did you like that? I did. And I know that that's a controversial opinion, but I loved it. And I loved it because I, as a writer, love that they went into the process of writing Little Women. And it was kind of a dual storyline. It was both Louise May Alcott and Joe kind of mm. working. And I also like that they kind of address the fact that Louisa May Alcott might be gay or might have been and that in her letters, there there's significant indications <laughs> that maybe she wasn't as straight as everyone wants her to be. And I, right. I love that that was included. 
Yeah, I was talking about that with another guest we had on season one. I think it was Laz Letcher, who's a they're a scholar and musician based out of Albuquerque, but they were talking a lot about how because they're a classically trained violist and how a lot of these old classical musicians and composers that they love so much, like maybe they were, there was just this moment where they were saying, you know, maybe they were gay, but we would never know because just as history to a certain extent, I mean, what I took it was just as history to a certain extent is uh, whitewashed and sort of commodified and made digestible through the lens of like white straight males that are telling us our history. Um, It goes, it goes also with, I think, queer history. We don't know it. It exists, but there's no written word about it. And a lot of that is, in a sense, it's like folklore, right? We don't really have proof. Or it's like the rumor, like George O'Keefe maybe was gay. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt had like a companion and lived at a separate part. It's like, was she gay? We didn't ever know, but we know. I, I know. Have you read the book, My Autobiography of Carson McCullers? No. But I love her work. Yes, she's incredible. And this is um, a, an author, Jen Chaplin, wrote a book about her quest to basically prove that Carson McCullers was gay. Ooh. And it's it's a really beautiful book. And it's one of those things where Carson McCullers was my favorite writer when I was young and Virginia Woolf. And I didn't know until maybe a year ago that both those women were queer. And I was like, these are like fundamental writers in my life. <laughs> and yeah. I was probably subconsciously swayed by them and I didn't even know it. <laughs> you know what? That's so funny. Just, I, I was just thinking about how I really decided that I needed to, I knew unapologetically that I had to continue to write songs after reading a room of one's own by Virginia Woolf. And my twin sister, who's a writer knew that she needed to, pursue writing and have it be a part of her life after she finished Heart is Only Hunter by Carson McCullers. The most transformative literature of like the last 100 years. <laughs> exactly. But it would make sense that they were queer. Like, yeah, totally. Oh, I don't you wish they were still alive. You could just like go have a cup of coffee with them and be like, so what was what's going on? What's the story? Yes, exactly. Or just think about what, what their lives would have been like if it was 2020 and not 1918 or whenever Virginia Woolf was writing she she was maybe a little bit more free right yes totally um so if I could uh read just a little part from one of your essays the essay that you that you had posted on medium what we owe to dreaming is it okay with you if I read just like a paragraph of it there's this one paragraph where you say At 14 years old, two significant things happened. I was accepted into an all-girls leadership camp in rural New York where I watched, but I'm a cheerleader for the first time. And a beautiful Norwegian girl, a year older than me, asked me to dance. She stood behind me, both her hands on my hips, and pulled me towards her while she whispered in my ear, be loose, be free. Mm -hmm. Something happened that had never happened to me in all my years of watching screen kisses. I felt my belly seizure both internal fire and field of worms simultaneously. <laughs> I totally love that. And so relatable. Yes. And I do apologize if I just embarrass you a little bit. I put you on the spot a little bit. No, no. I totally love that. That The way that you put that. I mean, I, I would venture to say so many of us queers have had that an experience like that. The first time someone sort of, you know, literally or, you know, 
figuratively stands behind you and says like, hey, loosen up, let yourself be here, yeah. move with me, you know? Yeah. And it is that that feeling, it that belly seizure. How many times have I had that? Like, I remember the first time I ever told a girl, like, I wanted to kiss her. It was that same thing. I was like, I cl- surely my entire face must be twitching right now. I am so like <laughs> out of my body, out of control. I can't believe this is happening. So I'd love to hear a bit about that part of your life, what what that meant to you. I, I don't want to ask too many questions. I, I'd love to hear about where that came from and, and what that experience was like for you and you know, you go on to say just a little after that, that you spent that summer getting to know yourself in this way that was free. And then you went home to Denver and didn't kiss a girl for 13 years. So yeah, tell me about that, please. Yeah. So that's kind of, I I wish the essay hadn't been so long because I think I would have included more, but essentially I think it was kind of happens to a lot of queer people where there is this magical space kind of outside of society where you are able to access this part of you that's kind of repressed Mm. either by a family or society or traditional womanhood. But I definitely went to this um, leadership program camp um, in upstate New York. And I remember my first day, some girl thought I was a Mormon. I'm not a Mormon, but I was wearing a skirt that like covered my knees. I had like this prim little dress or shirt on. I love that. And I was so shy. And so uh, I really struggled with being present in my body. And I struggled with depression. And I was seeing a therapist. And I had some, some issues um, emotionally at that time. And I kind of felt like no one could understand me and I felt at the school I went to that I I felt very different. And then I went to this camp and it was only girls and literally they just wore whatever they wanted to wear. No one really brushed their hair. (laughs) You know, it it just felt like we were just totally wild and it just felt so liberating. Yeah. And when this girl asked me to dance, I was the only one not dancing in this Barney area. And, you know, I was watching them dance and I was probably looked envious of their joy and their ability to be free. And she just grabbed me and was like, you're going to dance. And I just remember my face got so red. And then when she danced with me, I was like, what is happening? (laughs) I remember I actually asked my friend Daria, I was like, what is, I was like, what is this feeling? What does this mean? Because I had never felt it before. And I thought something like was actually wrong with me. It's like, I kind of feel like I'm on fire. I feel a little weird. She's like, I think you're horny. I think that's the word she used. (laughs) It was like 13 or something. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's amazing. So she's this uh, Norwegian girl wound up being, is that the one that you kissed that summer? She's the girl that you kissed that summer? No, I, I never kissed I didn't kiss a girl until, yeah, I was 27. Oh, okay. So I, I maybe my reading comprehension isn't, isn't amazing sometimes. So you had that experience, your belly, you know, seized up, your heart was on fire and you were experiencing, you know, this freedom, this wildness. And then you went home and totally just put that away until years and years later. Yeah, well, I talked to my mom. I remember telling her that I, I think my my phrasing actually was when I came home, I think I said, I'm, a, I'm afraid to be gay. I think I'm afraid I'm gay. And my mom, I think, really had good intentions. And I think she wanted me to feel less afraid. And so she said, you're not, don't be afraid. You're not, you're not gay. I, I just don't think you like boys yet. Or I think you're just like, you haven't come to that level yet. And I think based on romantic comedies and what I had seen with my parents, I thought that being like loved by um, a boy, probably, you know, a typical white 
hero of a of a Disney movie right. <laughs> like meant that you were a worthwhile woman. And so I think I internalized that and I think I was like, well, I guess I don't like boys yet. And I think I kept waiting for that to happen. And then as I got older, I started to think, well, maybe I just am not as sexual as other people. And maybe I don't like this the way other people like it. And maybe I'm broken or maybe things happened to me and now I can't feel my feelings or something. And then that's obviously not real. I, I was just dating the wrong, the wrong people. Right. Is there a song? Okay. So you talked about uh, you said something about being a worthwhile woman. Maybe I'm not a worthwhile woman. Or what does that mean to be a worthwhile woman? What At what point in your life, and maybe is there a song on this playlist that speaks to realizing that, I don't know, that doesn't exist in a certain <laughs> like way. There's no set of rules that says like, I'm worthwhile. Uh, woman, male, trans, queer, gender queer, gender fluid, whatever way you want to identify. You know, like, was there... For anyone, was there a moment and a song on your playlist that speaks to that reckoning, awakening that doesn't exist necessarily? <laughs> yeah, I think there are two songs. I think the first one was um, Outlaw by the Staves. Oh, yes, I love that song. I love it so much. I heard it for the first time when I was in New Zealand. And I think I was, I went to New Zealand to try to re come back to myself and try to figure out, like, peel away the layers of you know, what I was trying to be someone I wasn't. So I was trying to figure out who, who are you underneath it all? And I was running through, they had these like paddocks filled with cows and deer. And I was just kind of running through it. And I had my headphones on and I was listening to that song. And I just felt like, oh, I am an outlaw. Like, I don't have to play by the rules. I like, there is this part of me that is wild and doesn't belong, doesn't necessarily fit in this binary binary experience that's been forced on me. And I felt just, I, I think I cried and I just felt like a full body rush of, yeah, I can go rogue. I can be exactly who I want to be. And it doesn't, yeah, who cares? Yeah. I love that. You can be you. It's like, maybe, maybe it was that same feeling that you felt at 14 at the summer camp, but in its newer, like, you know, version. It, it really was. It really was. It was like, be loose, be free. Like, why are you trying to, why are you trying to fit yourself into this tiny little frame? I think that's what I felt like, you know, I was being encouraged to dance and be wild. And then I think the other song is Killer by Phoebe Bridgers, because I definitely, I think forever internalized this feeling that I was dark or that there was this darkness or I had this part of me that wanted more than life could provide. And then, you know, the song, I think, really speaks to the idea that human beings really do want and there is this kind of dangerous lust for life that we all have and we don't have to squash it and we don't have to be afraid of it. Yes. I, yes, I'm loving this so much. When you went to New Zealand, I'm just like curious of a little chronology here. Um, was that, that was a few years ago, right? You said you... I went there when I was 26, so... I guess it's like four years ago now. You went there. Was was there, I guess what I'm curious about is, you know, talking to so many folks on this show, subtitle of the show is stories from outside the closet, my gay playlist and stories from outside the closet. So I want to talk to people about coming out. I also believe that coming out is not just like, it's not anyone could come out right? Like it's just living authentically. It's a conversation that you're going to have with yourself every day to say like, this is who I want to be. I want to be this wild person with a dangerous life, whatever that means to me. You know what, what 
do you think coming out is? And like, what was your coming out to you? Is it just saying like, I'm queer uh, or is it, you know, I'm a writer, I am a uh, creative, all of like, what is it to you? I guess is the, the long-winded way of asking that. I think coming out for me was admitting to what I want from life. Mm. I think that there is a lot of internalized shame whether it's internalized homophobia or even just this belief that women can't get what they want. So they have to settle. I feel like that's been a common theme in my, my family, just a lot of women who took what they could get kind of because they didn't feel that they deserved more. And I think coming out for me has just been this practice of being like, I want this and it is okay to want this thing with my full body. Like, you know, I acknowledging and admitting openly that I want to be with women and not with men and wanting to be a creative person and wanting to yeah re redefine life I you know a colleague of mine once said like who changes careers a colleague of mine a few days ago said who changes careers at 30 I was like I fully plan on changing careers like 90 times <laughs> I don't want to be this static creature I want to be I want to transform all the time. And I think that's what coming out is. Yes. Like the metamorphosis of it, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Hell yeah. What's going on, guys? Thanks so much for listening. If you're liking what you hear and you want to stream Sammy's own playlist while you are streaming our episode or after you're done listening, head to mygayplaylist.com where you can find every episode's corresponding song list. We're going to get into some more songs here in just a second. So stay tuned. There's more coming up right now. I'd love to talk a little bit more about the Still Tide. You have a few of their... Is it just one of their songs? Yeah. No, you have a few of their songs and you said that you're, it's your partner's band or is it their project specifically and they have musicians play with them? I'd love to hear about why, I mean, I, I could venture to guess why their songs are on your playlist, but a little bit about the music and, and what it means to you. And yeah, living with a musician is fun. I mean, I could, I could speak <laughs> for my wife. I think it's fun. We make it fun. I think it is really fun. I would agree. <laughs> well, the first song that I put on the playlist is Rough House and I had heard her play a show before I met her and I didn't know she was gay. Like didn't, you know, I just loved her music and I was listening to the song kind of over and over again on repeat the summer I moved back to Denver mm -hmm. and something about the song spoke so much to my own personal experience. You know, now that I know her better, I understand a whole different realm behind the song. But at that point in time, I felt um, I think the the lyrics are like coming back. It's over now. Am I happier this time? And I was like, that's exactly how I feel to be back in Denver. Like, am I happier this time? Is this where I want to be? Mm. And something about the the song really spoke to me. And then yeah, and then I ended up going to a show of hers, and we met in in person. And and she's my first like queer relationship, and she's also just my person. And so I, I feel very emotionally attached to her music. I love that. I love that so much. It's such an interesting thing, how music can do that, right? Like it, it wraps you up in, in so many 
meaningful moments. I was just talking to to another guest earlier today when we were doing the session talking about how there's so many life defining or just like simple moments that we forget about. And we'll hear a song from like way back when that just, it sends you back there so quickly. And even, you know, for me, I could be, I could be doing something, you know, super mundane, like cleaning out my car. And I hear like a lyric of a song that I haven't heard in a while. And I remember this, like nothing moment that I forgot about. And the yeah. person that I was with and, you know, what it smelt like in that setting or, you know, the taste of the cocktail I was drinking or something like that. I, I'm just like super nostalgic in that way. But um, I love when the other person is so closely wound up in those songs. It's just there's something really special about it. Maybe that's a song within itself. I'm not sure. But I, I'm wondering if, if you have any thoughts on that as a writer. I'd love to hear your your take on those sort of sense memories. Oh, I love them so much. I think that's kind of like what that Orchard House theme from Little Women, our score, triggers in me is that nostalgic return to another place. It can get addictive. You can get really lost oh, yeah. in it. I think sometimes I... <laughs> I maybe I go that too far down that path. Dude, I can relate. I can relate. I have a good <laughs> friend who has been a bit of a as like a spiritual mentor to me and just a, a great just a great friend over the last, you know, 12 years of my life and she always says that to me when I'm getting lost in the nostalgia. She says, "Live, you got to be in it, not of it." <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh, thank you." I need that like tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> yeah, it yeah, it does get it does get dangerous before you know it. You're like, what day is it? And where well, I wasn't even here anymore. All right. So uh let's go through some more of these because you have some really great ones on here. Boney Bear, Faith, let's talk about this song. Why is this one on your playlist? Yeah. So there this song my partner is a musician and she tours a lot. And there was like a part in a time in our relationship where I really struggled with her being away all the time and um and definitely like it was new like everything felt really new and I felt kind of shaky and on unstable ground because <laughs> I had just moved back to Denver and I had just kind of experienced like a, the death of a parent and I was just feeling what do I do <laughs> and I was walking kind of in a park by my house and this song had this album had just been released and I got to this song and I felt um, really seen and held by it. And I was just like, oh, right. You just have to have, I mean, actually, I think when you look at the specific lyrics, I think it's the opposite of faith, but <laughs> the, 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 what I gathered from the song and from the tone was this intense, like you have to have faith and you really just have to hang in there and, and really just believe. That's all the things moving, moving home to your hometown after being away, losing someone close to you, um, being in a new relationship and then having that person, go away for an extended period of time. And I know what it's like when like you're on the road. I mean, I've toured a bunch too. It's like, you can't talk on like a consistent way or communicate because the schedule's so wacky. And then even when they have time, they're probably in the car with someone else. Yeah. That's like, yeah. all of the things at once to happen, like in life. It's like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's that, that sound is exactly how I felt. <laughs> I've been on both sides of that. I can relate. We have time for a few more. What, which, what are, I mean, we're definitely going to talk about the last song on here because holy crap, it's the best. I wish we could have just like a dance party to it and everyone listening would know uh, what the wonder. Besides that one, 
what are some other ones on here, one or two that you really love and you want to talk about and and why? I think I love the song uh, Unraveling that's sung by Monica Martin um, and uh, the lead singer of that band, Fox. And uh, my partner put that on a mix for me when we were first starting to date. And I was just felt like so called out <laughs> and it was it was so wonderful but it's just all about like unraveling and and this type of attention and and connection that kind of just like pulls you apart and but in a good way but maybe in a scary way and i just felt like oh this is a very good song and i'm i'm glad you've introduced me to it <laughs> scary because it, the vulnerability of it because being vulnerable is scary is that sort of what it is to you yeah i think so being vulnerable is scary i pretend that it's not scary but it actually is <laughs> oh yeah it's scary, but when you, I feel like when you're vulnerable and the person on the other side of that sees you or you allow yourself to be seen by them, that is like such an empowering thing. I think that is like one of the strongest things we can do is let ourselves go there, but oof, getting there's hard. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Baby steps, bird by yes, bird. Definitely. All right. So what else? What, uh, what other ones are on here? Sufjan Stevens. Let's actually touch on that because you have, I think, two of his songs on there. One from uh, yeah. Call Me By Your Name, which, oh, that book and the movie was great. And then the second song on the playlist is from, I think, his second album or first album. I'd love to hear about those. The Predatory Wasp of the Palisades. That is like one of my favorite songs of all time. And I did like, I remember in college, I did a paper on Sufjan Stevens and like found out he was gay and it was just, I don't know why. I mean, I came from kind of a liberal place. I have no idea why people being gay was like shocking to me, but it definitely always took me a back, like a little bit of back. And I was like, what? Mm. And I did a deep dive into all of his lyrics and I found oh, like how much of them were just actually profound love letters to, you know, characters, people, but they just felt like so intimate and so raw. And that, you know, the crescendo that that song mm. comes to, like, the, you know, um, I can't explain the state that I am in the state of my heart. He was my best friend or something like just like the heartbreak, but also the, the power of having loved and been loved. And it's just a powerful song. And I think if I could choose an anthem, maybe that would be my anthem. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yes. I've never asked that on the show. What would be your anthem? That's a good one because it starts off so quiet and soft too. And it rages into this almost like erratic sounding with the all the instrumentation, right? And it's so sweeping and grandiose. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are my favorite types of songs. And I don't have the musical language to explain it, but where they layer and layer and layer. And then at the end, yeah, it feels like a storm. It's like the clouds are rolling in. The birds are starting to make noises and then all of a sudden there's the thunder. I feel like that's my favorite sort of song. Yes, totally. Ah, oh, 100%. I agree. That's like church right there to me. Exactly. Yeah. And then the song, his song from the Call Me By Your Name soundtrack, did he did he do the, all of the music for that movie? I think he did, right? Yeah, all the stuff that's not like classical. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tell me about that song. I mean, obviously... I'm sure you've read the book and seen the movie. Yes, yes. So I saw the movie right before I met my partner and I saw it in a theater and I just cried like a baby during mm. it. <laughs> but I think they really struck me the question to speak or to die. Mm. And I thought back to all of my, all the times in my life where I didn't speak and I chose to die instead. And I really marked this time, this flip in my life where I'm like, I am going to speak. <laughs> 
I'm going to tell people kind of going back to coming out and telling people what you want. And I think it really inspired my relationship with um, my partner and feeling brave enough to be open about the fact that I liked her, be vulnerable (laughs) and not, and not die. That's the fear, right? To speak or to die. And then you like, and did some moments in your life where like, I didn't speak and I died. And it's interesting to me because so much of, I think so much of my fear, uh, if I could just relate to that, so much of my fear when I don't, I think it's like an, it's just an anxiety thing. Like if I actually say the thing that I need for whatever reason, I might die. Like that's what it comes back to. But to think of it in the other way, if you don't say what you need, if your needs are never met, then you actually will die. Like on a very basic human level, what a predicament we put ourselves in, right? <laughs> yeah. Being human is tough. Oh man, that's so real. I was just talking to a friend of mine actually about her sobriety and uh, she's she's celebrating a year tomorrow and I'm super proud of her. Oh, wow. And I said something to her like, so what's it, so what's it like, you know? life sober. And she goes, it's kind of crazy. Like, I don't, I don't need a drink. And I thought about that. I'm like, yo, yeah, I exactly. Like it's enough. Right. Yeah. And that's the thing. It like a good reminder is like life is wonderful. We don't need to, you know, if we really are living it and being fully present, we don't necessarily need to, to heighten it in any way. Um, okay. Sammy. So I end our episodes the same way every single week. Uh, by asking you this one question, if you could, if you could tell your younger self, your young queer self, maybe the fourteen-year-old uh, at camp who is terrified and electrified at the same time, or you know any younger version of you, if you could give yourself a piece of advice, knowing what you know now from the wisdom having lived the life that you've led thus far, what would it be? Oh man, I should have. I knew. I know you closed these interviews this way, and I should have. I should have. Um, I think I would have said, I think I would have said that I would have talked to myself and said, I think you think that you need to please people in order to be loved. Mm. I think if you stopped pleasing people, you would find more love and um, more self-love. That's what I would say. Oh, that's beautiful. Yes. That's the best. I guess we've had enough. Mm-hmm. Well, geez, I know I say this after most episodes, but I am just such a huge fan of Sammy now. I loved chatting with you, Sammy. You're kind and cerebral. Your take on the world is just so perfect the way that it is and the way that you are. Thank you so much. If you're listening and you want to support Sammy, check out her work, head to her website, sammydowning.com, and be sure to order a copy of her book, The Family That Carried Their House on Their Backs. It's insanely good. I haven't been able to put it down. We're playing you out today with a track called Keep It by The Still Tide. You can follow them on Instagram for the most up-to-date band happenings, and keep an eye out for new music this fall and winter via Spotify.
This show was created by yours truly, Liv Lombardi, that's me, and Courtney Ortel, and co-produced by Virago Artist Management with additional support from Hannah Varnum. Music by yours truly once again, Liv Lombardi. As always, thank you for your ears and your hearts. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, write a review, and share with your friends. Until then, be kind to yourself and gentle. I hope you have a good week, and we'll see you next time.